This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 13. This is Writing Excuses, three prongs of character development. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan this week will be played by the car from the Jetsons. <laughs> All right. All the way from Germany. <laughs> yes. Oh, that went by real fast. Um, I, this is a topic I pitched because recently I beca- started viewing characters a little bit differently, at least talking about characters. I realized that there are really three prongs or three, three quotas, quotes, the Three parts of the quotient of a character. Three parts of the quotients of a character that you can mix and match, and you can kind of slide these scales up and down to create an engaging character. And these three prongs are how sympathetic or relatable they are, how nice they are, really. Um, The second prong is how competent they are. And the third prong is how proactive they are. And I've begun to think of many characters as a mixture of these different things, where you've got like, you know, 20% uh, moved up on the so sympathetic sympathy, prong. sympathy, competence, and proactivity together make a character engaging. These are the three things I found okay. that really draw me as a reader to a character. I like characters who are competent. I like characters who do something, who protag, as you so eloquently put it so often, Howard, and characters who are nice. Um, and I started to realize that if you like take one of these bars all the way down. You can say, okay, I'm going to do somebody who's very competent and very proactive, but not sympathetic or nice. And suddenly you have a lot of your different villains. Or you can create a villain that is, you know, not as, um, not quite as, um, as, as competent, but a little bit more sympathetic. Or you can get a, create a character where you bring up the proactivity and the sympathy, but bring down the competence, and you end up like with someone who's a little bit more like Indiana Jones, who the I tick. kind of view, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, or if you just have sympathy only, then you have somebody like Samwise Gamgee, or even Harry Potter, who's not really that proactive and not really like I'd say he's like you know fifty percent up on those two bars and way up on the sympathy one. And just by mixing and matching these, I began to be able to describe characters. Hmm. That's really interesting. The, I mean, part of what I'm sitting there thinking about is is how that plays out as the character goes through. Right, and, right. And that is because one of the things, like, when you talk about the slider bar, is of course that that yes. slider bar doesn't stay in the same place where it is at the beginning for right. most characters. Right, particularly the competence area yeah. is going to be moved up over time. But sometimes you'll have characters, you know, where the trajectory is, you're moving the sympathy bar down Yeah. Um, as you're moving the competence bar up and things like this. Or for a good convincing villain, you've got the sympathy bar yeah. moving up. Moving up as they understand and relate to the character more. Um, and this this came because people ask me quite a bit, how do I make engaging characters, particularly if my character's kind of annoying at the beginning? How do I make somebody at the start of a story that we're not going to like, but by, you know, how do how we still make that beginning interesting? And I say, well, just m- crank those other bars way up. Yeah, I think this is actually something that you run into a lot with YA, where you mm-hmm. have someone who is often at the beginning um, 
Not always, but frequently you'll see one of the, the flaws that you'll see yeah. is that you'll have somebody who comes across as the whiny teenager yep. because you have to give them flaws to overcome for the, the beautiful character arc. Right. But that means that you have someone whose proactive bar is low, whose competence bar is low, and yes. whose sympathy bar is low. And yeah, and I suggest to readers or to writers that you really want to try and move one of those bars up. Um, and you're saying, I don't want to have this character be really sympathetic at the beginning. You really got to make him good at something instead. A great example of this is Artemis Fowl, yes. a teen series where you have the proactivity and the competence cranked up enough that it makes up for the fact that at the beginning, this guy's presented as a villain, that um, he's kind of sarcastic and mean. And as you move through the series, you move that sympathy bar up a lot. But in the beginning, the fa mere fact that he is doing things is carries us through with yeah. this character. Now, at risk of <laughs> at risk of taking your model and making it unnecessarily complex, uh, when I worked in software, mm -hmm. we talked about three slider bars. Yes, uh, there is the release date, there is the feature set, and there are the development resources. Mm -hmm. And if you are unwilling to move the release date, yeah, then you have to pull down the sliders on. Right on feature set and bump or bump up the, the slider on resources. Mm -hmm. In short, uh, we were looking at it as a zero-sum game and where right. do you strike the balance? My question here is, are there situations where pushing all three sliders to the top will break the character or break the story? Are there situations in which it is a zero-sum game and you have to pull a slider down in order for the character to be engaging? See, I would say in fiction, um, these sliders are not a zero-sum game. It's about the type of character you're trying to write. For instance, um, Dirk Pitt is the perfect example. Dirk Pitt is at 100 on each of these sliders. At every um, opportunity... I'm not familiar with... Dirk Pitt is the, the hero of Clive Cussler's series. Okay. Um, yeah. He's a classic Superman character. No superpowers, but he is a classic... Yeah. You know, he's a Boy Scout type thing. He's always nice to everybody. He's civil, he is super competent, and he is always pro-tagging. And you find a lot of the Golden Age, like, mm -hmm. superheroes, all, they tried to move the slider bars up as far as they could on all of them. That makes the sympathy one sometimes hard to hit the top on because if the person is so competent and so powerful, it, it immediately makes them unrelatable. And so hitting all 100 is hard with a superpowered character, yeah, I would that, say. That was the thing that I was going to say when, when Howard raised the question was that, right. that I think that for most people, when you raise all of those up, that's when yeah. you get into the Mary Sue character. Right, mm -hmm. you do. There are people who love a Mary Sue, though. But there are entire genres that are ba ba built around loving Mary Sue type characters. Yeah, and for those of you who are, are relatively new mm -hmm. listeners, yes. a, a Mary Sue character is someone who is so good at everything that they cross over into unbelievable. Right. And and frequently it is a, they also represent a wish fulfillment thing. Yes, they and do. And one of the things that I think, one of the ways that you can mitigate this, and this is where the, what happens with the Mary Sue characters, mm -hmm. is what you're doing with your plot. Right. Because you can have a super competent character who still has, who still hits the try-fail cycles right. and fails at stuff, not because of their own competency, but because of things they can't. Right. You still have to see them having obstacles that they can overcome. These characters, you pile on the external conflict. Right. Um, and make them go through all kinds of terrible things. Yeah. Which is why Superman has to have supervillains to fight, because if he were just fighting normal villains, mm -hmm. then, you know, whereas yeah. you, would, right. you would just be annoyed by him. Yes. You realize that what you've just done 
is add another slider. Which one's that? <laughs> You're talking about the slider for uh, you know externalities. If you have if you have the first three sliders maxed out, um, if you have a Dirk Pitt character or yeah. a Superman character, then you are going to have to bump up the uh, the level see, of conflict. See, I, the, I, yeah. I disagree because you can make any conflict difficult. You as a writer have power over all of this. Yeah, yeah. This is about character. That's a plot slider. Yeah. Okay. You can write a book. Well, and that's what I'm saying is you are yeah. you are introducing, uh, see, as we are talking yeah. about, the, you're introducing the plot slider in yeah. order to adjust the sum of the character sliders so that it works in the context of this book. But there are plenty of books I've, I've read and movies I've seen, and they're not my favorites, but there are plenty of them in which the character does not have a big struggle. You never feel the character is going to, going to fail. Um, they are, you know, I mean, the entire melodrama um, stage play thing, I mean, granted, that's a, kind of an in-joke, but the character's never really struggling. They're awesome, they're competent, everything is going well for them, and those are enjoyable situations. They're enjoyable. I would disagree with that as yeah. a as a statement about how the melodramas go. They they have. I mean, there's the uh, that that's why you have the car chases through the city. And well, the... I'm talking about melodrama plays that I've seen. Okay. Like when they play, like I go to them up in Idaho, and it's all about the part audience participation is the fun. You boo the villain. You throw popcorn at him. Yeah. The hero comes on, and you and you cheer. And things like this. And it's like this, it's become this audience participation thing, that specific genre of stage play. Okay. Um, I, I would, having not seen that, I'm yes. not able to argue with you. Uh, looking at the melodramas from film. Yeah. Which is that's where a they, different thing. Yeah, but yeah. But, but mm -hmm. that's where the cliffhanger comes from because mm -hmm. something has gone wrong for the villain yes. or for the hero. All right. We need to stop for our book of the week. Our book of the week is The Killing Moon by N.K. Jameson, which I haven't actually read. I haven't read it either. I haven't read it. Oh. Hey guys, I'm back. Dan! Sorry, Dan! I, uh, oh my God. doing here? I, I was in the that Cretaceous was, period. Was... Someone stepped on a butterfly again. Which... We got it sorted out, so don't worry. But which, who, who was in that with you? Who? Oh, you, you, you wouldn't know him. Just <laughs> Very friendly, though. Uh, Love I fish am so sticks. sorry. Um, oh. Yeah, so, I, I, but, but I've only missed wall. like one episode, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were just, you yeah. weren't okay. gone very we, we told everybody that you were going to be back soon, and, um, and it's fine. we didn't okay. make fun of you at all. No. Oh, well, that, that, that's good. good. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to make fun no of anyway. No gerbils so, were harmed. So, but it looks like I showed up right in the middle. What are we, what are we talking about? Uh, uh, the well, Killing Moon? Yeah, Killing Moon by... The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemison? Yeah. I love that book. That was fantastic. Um, what, what's the episode about? Uh, the episode's about characters. Characters. Killing Moon has awesome characters. There were these, the, the big cast, but kind of three main ones. There's, uh, The Killing Moon is, is a fantasy by N.K. Jemisin that has this kind of really rich, uh, African world to it and this magic system where people, uh, use dreams and they actually steal dreams from people. And so two of the main characters are priests who do that. Um, kind of the experienced one and the apprentice, and then the third is a woman who's a diplomat from another kingdom who thinks that they're evil and is trying to stop them. It's a really great book. I recommend it very highly. Excellent. Now, you were going to put a, a content warning on this one? Yeah, I do think that there's a, that, uh, I mean, it's, yes. It's content got explicit warning. content. Um, now, Howard, how can they get a copy of The Killing Moon? 
Well, that's a lot easier than getting Dan here. Yeah. All they need to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash, slash excuse, start a uh, 30-day free trial membership, and pick up a copy of The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemison for free. Wow. And we have you back. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Back. So tell us about the three prongs of character development. The three prongs of character development, as I remember them uh, <laughs> from my previous... Um, just go Journeys. back in time to when we started this. Go back this. in time. Okay, hang on a second. Okay, I'm back. The first half of this episode was really good. Um, Thanks, I wish we'd had you here. Well, I probably would have had a lot to say. It was, it was difficult to not talk while I was listening to you guys. Now you know what um, all of our listeners go through. Yeah. So, uh, did you hear me knocking on, on the wall? I was, I was behind the door over there. Um, anyway... I think it's really interesting. I especially like the the conversation about uh, about zero sum and how mm-hmm. you can slide some of the the things up and down. Now, my my comment on this whole thing is when I discuss characters this way, it's not always how I'm necessarily building them as a writer. Like I write a lot of my characters by instinct and things like this. Yeah. When I run into things, when I when I run into problems, however, I go back to situations like this and I yep. say, "What's not working with this character? Maybe this model will help me look at this specific character." Have you guys ever had a character where you're like, "This character, oh, he's not sympathetic enough, or she's not competent enough, or something like that?" Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the partial series, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of the three main characters are Kira and Sam and Marcus. Uh-huh. And after the first book came out, everyone hated Marcus. And that was a big surprise to me mm-hmm. to hear reader feedback because my editor and I both loved him. Uh, one of the reviewers put it really well by saying that Marcus fills the role of the John Grisham whiny wife <laughs> whose job is to say, oh, why do you have to go save the world? Can't you, can't you be back and just stay with me the whole time? And what I realized is that his sympathy slider was down because his role in the story was yeah. kind of holding the other character back. So in the, in the, in the other two books, we ramped up uh, some of the competency sliders significantly. Mm-hmm. We ramped up actually the likability slider um, mm-hmm. a lot by making him much more funny. But, but uh, in general, the, the idea was to make him more competent and much more active. We forced mm-hmm. him into situations where he had to do things and that helped. So even though he still had that kind of sympathy problem, people liked him now because he was so active and he was doing things. I ran into a similar problem with Of Noble Family, which is the fifth book in the Glamorous Histories. And for, for r- plot reasons, uh, Jane, my main character, was in a situation where she could not protag for much mm-hmm. of the book. And, um, and so the readers were frustrated because they felt like other people were protagging. Right. And that she, and, and it was, it was a problem because I had to figure out how to, like, I had her sympathy and her competence up as high as I could go, but I actually had to go back and find ways for her to protag. And one of the ways to do it was not by having her be more actively engaged, but um, it was actually, I think, a, a sympathy slider, which was yeah. to, um, to have, not giving, because I really, she couldn't protag. Right. Um, was to have part of what was going on be her frustrated about her inability to protag. Right. Which brought her right. experience right. in alignment mm-hmm. with the reader experience. Which then brings up the sympathy Maybe slider. Better. And yeah, um, I, I found this to be a really useful tool, particularly when talking to new writers where I say, look at these three areas. I do want to highlight, though, this idea of the Mary Sue. It 
be really careful. When I say to writer, re writers, often you'll need to up one of these things. If you up all three, there are genres where that works, but you're not going to create a really engaging character by having them be great at everything and super sympathetic. Um, a great example of someone who realized this is actually Pat Rothfuss. Um, if you read Name of the Wind, a lot of people point at Quoth and say, this guy's a Mary Sue. But what they're missing is his sympathy slider is way down. He's a jerk. He ruins his own, um, every success he has, he ruins by doing something worse. He, um, his romantic life is messed up because he's messed up. Um, mm -hmm. And so he's made someone who's very competent and uh, and uh, and he acts more competent than he is. Yeah. But but somebody whose whose pro tag is way up, and then brought his sympathy way down, and made a really fascinating character. You don't read a lot of protagonists in books whose sympathy sli slider is down so far. Yeah, and a lot of times you can get away with that when you're deeply into a character's yes. head, yep. and the mm -hmm. audience won't notice that that's what's going Mike on. Mike Cole's, uh, I think it was his debut novel, uh, Control Point. Um, Shadow Ops, yep. Control Point. Um, uh, I I loved it. I blogged about it, and a lot of the commenters on the blog uh, complained about Oscar Britton, our protagonist, mm -hmm. because he was unsympathetic. Mm -hmm. They they hated the things that he did. They hated the mistakes that he made. Um, and I remember reading, looking at the book, and thinking, Yeah, I felt really, really bad for this character because. He'd been morally conflicted and had made a bad choice, mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't just a bad choice of you know door number one or door number two. Right. It was a bad choice of bad moral decision mm -hmm. kills lots and lots of people. Um, but he was competent, and he was he was protagging, and he really wanted to try and make good on this mistake that he'd made. And I think that made that character far stronger than if I'd loved him. Um, I think John Cleaver is a really interesting character to look at up. here because in a lot of ways he, looking at it just as the sliders, yeah. the sliders are all very high. Mm. He's very confident, he's always acting, and he's very sympathetic. Aside but from the, the wanting to kill people. Well, the that's the thing. The thing that keeps him from being a Mary Sue is that he is sympathetic in ways no one would want to emulate. You know? Yeah. And so it's a different kind of sympathy. Yeah. I wonder if there is a fourth slider which is weakness? Potentially, I think that I mean this is just a model. It's a troubleshooting model. A yeah. troubleshooting mm -hmm. model, and I could say to to the listeners, you could probably come up with your own sliders. Mm -hmm. Um, you can add like the weakness slider, how powerful versus weak in their situation. I would say that weakness tends to build sympathy. Yeah, and it's one of the main ways underdogs. That's fair enough. Is, yeah, in that, that you're, slider. You're, you're, yeah, well, yeah, and that's right. where you get back into the idea of how does this character interface with the plot. Right. That's yeah. The thing we always right. say about Superman is. The way to make him interesting is to put him in a plot where he's not super competent right. against mean, that specific yeah. This is obstacle. Ender's Game, too. Ender's yeah. Game, the sliders are all way up, but the external conflict is such that it doesn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. um, and plus, he adds a bunch of inner turmoil to, to you know, have the character work through and things, but his sliders are way up on those. Yeah. So anyway, this is just, I wanted um, to present this as something for you guys to do. Um, Howard actually has a writing prompt. I do. Uh, come up with, it can be an alien race, it can be some sort of human sub-race or a cybernetic race or some sort of race in which there is a sum that you are not allowed to push past and you have sliders that dictate personality attributes and that is your magic system, if you will. Excellent. I would also suggest that you, not as a writing prompt but as an exercise, 
go pick a bunch of your favorite characters from media and try to determine where they are on those different sliders and see if you can find people who have one of them all the way up and the other two all the way down or vice versa, two up and one down and see if you can create, if you can find people that fulfill all of these different roles because I found it very easy to do once I was paying attention to this. All right, this has been Write Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.